Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Tidewad Tech, episode 109, listener Q&A, recorded October 8, 2012, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. This week, we're gathering up some uh, emails and feedbacks and various comments from our listeners that weren't quite enough for a show. Uh, uh, in in themselves and adding them all together and maybe we'll get a good show out of it. And first off, I just want to say thanks for all the feedback. You guys have really been stepping it up, sending lots of emails and uh, forum posts and, and things of that nature. So thank you for that. Uh, and hopefully we'll do these sort of things very often. And with me, as always, to do that is Mr. Sean Kybel. Hi, Sean. How are you? Hey, Mark. It is great to be here as usual. And uh it's it's been uh it's monday right we always record on monday and this monday has been sort of survivable compared to the last <laughs> so uh, so it's a good day well good sometimes mondays are pretty rough but you know for the most part you get one a week so you might as well learn to live with it right right yeah i was uh i know this will be a shocker to you mark but uh, i was running late this morning and, uh, stunner stunner yeah uh so that was about it you know typical monday for me is uh you know you just got to retrain the the clock to you know getting up at that at that time again uh i'm not one of those guys you know i i generally get up around 4 30 in the morning um during the week but not on the weekends so the weekends sleep in you know and for me sleeping in it's like 7 30 or 8 but uh kicking back to monday uh yeah 4 30 goes and it's like snooze snooze <laughs> snooze snooze yeah <laughs> so uh i'll have to admit to hitting the snooze button a little bit uh, too many times this morning uh so. i just want to say it's cold in january what does it have to do with october well Thank you. That was enlightening, Mark. Yes. <laughs> you know it's cold in January because there are always lots of birthdays in October. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> that yeah, that runs in your family like yes. it does, right? Yes, I have two. I had a birthday uh, last week, and I got a birthday coming up in a couple of weeks in my family. So we just we just had a birthday party for our four year old yesterday, uh, or uh, Saturday rather, and. Uh, we bought a pinata, you know, and, and pinatas are the typical, um, fun thing that you do, but being, I'm a redneck and a high tech redneck, we, uh, tied the pinata to the, the deck so the kids could hit it with, uh, an old phone line cable. Cause I happen to have hundreds of feet of phone cable, you know, the old phone cable. Yeah, uh, sure. We didn't have any string, but we had plenty of phone cable. And it was funny because uh, as I was digging it out of the box, my four-year-old said, Daddy, what's a phone line? And it occurred to me, yeah, there's no reason she would know that. Now, that's true. That's true. Yeah, but that stuff's pretty tough, so it's uh, perfect. Yeah, it worked great. Right, right. Well, I'm kind of in the same boat because uh, my son turned two September 27th, and my daughter will turn uh, six this coming Saturday. Uh, so yeah, I mean, they're within, uh, just barely over two weeks of each other. So, uh, yes, it is cold in January. <laughs> <laughs> I think it has, I think that's totally ruled by women personally. Isn't everything. Yes, pretty much. But yeah, that's for whatever reason, that's, uh, uh when women obviously must be 
happiest. Leave it at that. Or maybe it's just when they're tiredest. Fine. Whatever. Yeah, they finally <laughs> let their defenses down. They're like, oh, okay, whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I actually wanted to ask you this, Mark, because uh, we literally, I mean, you said that it's cold in January, but uh, we just had our first real cold front move through here in North Texas. Uh, dropped down into the 40s this weekend. Uh, so not like, you know, severe cold, right, but right. when you're, 80s 90s you know uh, pushing 100 and then you drop down into the 40s that's a pretty big swing so uh anything like that where you're at uh it was i think 54 this morning uh at my house so yeah it's uh there's a a a crispness in the air it's my favorite time of year uh really is, is fall when the seasons are changing um and you know you're out it's still warm enough to be out but there's a nice uh brisk coolness in the air i like that right Right, I agree, and it's very much uh, football weather. Yeah, very much. Yeah, if only we had a team to root for, that would be great. Uh, yeah, my team did all right though. I mean, well, they lost, but yeah, they. Did. I wouldn't say that was all right. I mean, that was the last four minutes of really um, miraculous plays uh, in fifty-six minutes of crappy play. Well, yeah, that's where you you right. You watch that game, and your team finally starts coming back in the last, you know eight minutes of the game and you're thinking oh yeah here it comes and then when they don't pull it off and you're sitting there going why could they not have played like right. that game uh but considering it was against new england uh i'm okay with it so uh i'm excited mark because uh you've completely pulled this show together uh and uh, a lot of this i have not seen before and i, I agree with you uh it's been really nice because i want to say over what the last what probably month, two months. I mean, we've really seen listener participation both in the forums and in the chat rooms and the show and everything else and emails and whatnot uh, really ramp up. And that's, that's really nice to see. And uh, it, it certainly helps us out. So uh, I'm excited. Yeah. Well, originally long, long ago when we started the show, we, we had hoped that we'd be do answering questions and having, uh, you know, a, a lot of feedback and it just, it took a while to get to that point. Uh, but I think we're finally getting there. Uh, I hope. I hope this is a a sign of good things to come, and not just you know uh, a blip. W- yeah, a blip on the radar. Yeah. yeah. So uh, let's just get right into it. A uh, couple of questions, some simple, uh, some long, um, and we'll just uh, get right to it. And starting off with uh, Pat, I'm going to use first names for the most part here. Um, we talked about I. Uh, my tip of the week a little while back was called Serva, S-E-R-V-A. And it was, uh, I believe it was a listener um, suggestion at the time. Uh, and Pat would like to uh, let us know that Serva is good for uh, network installations of Microsoft operating systems using uh, Windows PXE. So um, I believe I mentioned that it did have a TFTP server uh, built into it. So... Um, he sends a link that I'll put in the show notes and just wanted to let us know that that's what he uses Serva for. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of read through and looked over that when I saw that come in. Cause I think that was, uh, that might've been an email to both the, the right. two of us, right? It was. And, uh, I looked it over, but, um, uh, the only thing I was, 
and maybe I was missing it. And I don't know how how well you looked at this, Mark, but I I just uh, I kept thinking fog. Well, you know, I right, I, you know, but I guess there's some extra stuff there. There's some some extra functionality you can do as far as the Windows deployment and managing it, and uh, maybe even something with user profiles. I don't know. I don't know. There's the, there are people who like to do remote installations. Uh, I, I never, I always thought a reimage was the way to go, uh, but you know, it just depends on your enterprise and the way you do things. So, if you're looking for that sort of thing, apparently Serva can do it. Yeah, awesome. And uh, Roger writes in to tell us about Wizmouse, uh, a tool that does pretty much the same thing. We mentioned Catmouse. We've mentioned it a few times on this show, and and recently we. Uh, mentioned it again, and he says he uses WizMouse for the same thing. In case you uh, don't remember what CatMouse and now WizMouse also do, uh, is uh, allow you to scroll whatever window the mouse is hovering over, regardless of whether or not it has focus. So if you've got cascaded windows and, and something under something else, you can just hover your mouse over it and scroll it, and the scroll wheel will, will work. And it sounds like a super simple thing, and it is a super simple thing. But once you install it and get used to it, and you go to a machine without it, it's like your left arm has just been cut off. Yeah, it's extremely frustrating. Um, I know, uh, you know, if you're in support at all, you run into that almost daily, right? Because you've got it on your computer, the one you're on most of the time. Then you go onto somebody else's computer, and yeah, you feel like picking the mouse up and chucking it. <laughs> you're just like this thing's worthless. Uh, yeah, it's it's one of those uh, life-changing little bits of software that's so, so simple. But, uh, yeah, if you're not using one of these, uh, certainly CatMouse is the one that I use and have used ever since. Uh, do you remember how we found out about CatMouse? I was Steve Gibson on the, uh, the uh, Security Now podcast. He mentioned it uh, several years ago, and I brought it to your attention, and we both uh, went, fell in love with it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I can't live without it and any, anything that I'm using, I install it on, even if it's like somebody else's PC that I'm on a lot, <laughs> I'll throw it on there cause they generally don't even notice, uh, right. you know, you, the, I guess the average user, you have to sort of point out that you've even done it. They would, it, it's so seamless when it kicks in that you don't think about it, but then when it's not there, you, you freak out. So, and it uses like a hundred K of your Ram. Yeah. It's, it's a tiny program. I'm sure this whiz mouse is probably the same thing. And of course, uh, if you work with a keyboard, uh, excuse me, a laptop most of the time and you don't use a scroll wheel, then you'd have no idea what we're talking about. But if you're a, a, a scroll wheel user, uh, then you have to have cat mouse or whiz mouse as it seems. Yeah. Very cool. Well, that, that would almost qualify as a tip of the week then. So there, we didn't really have one, you know, technically in the show notes. So uh, there we'll just say that is the tip of the week, I guess. Uh, then our next little bit of wisdom comes from James. And I actually mentioned this uh, before uh, on a show that uh, uh, immediately after I got this email. And I said I would uh, post it in the show notes, and I didn't. So I'm going to come back and do it again. I'm going to read the instructions and then I will also post them. So if they're here, at least they've been out there. Uh, and it's a multi-step process, but he's uh, talking about uh, the process of uh, setting the default user in Windows uh, Vista, excuse me, Windows 7. Uh, and we express some um, frustration about the fact that it's, a, it's more complicated than it has ever been before, and it doesn't 
fully work. The method that that Sean and I both use uh, it works, but it's it's still buggy. And James offers a suggestion uh, that that his team has come up with, and so I'll. Uh, read through the instructions, but uh, I think I have a couple of comments to make along the way. So from James, uh, you guys have a couple of times now mentioned the default user process in Windows 7. Yes, it has indeed changed since XP, and we've been successfully configuring the default user in Windows 7 since our initial deployment, using Fog, of course. We found out the following information and a small application to unlock the copy button. Uh, I don't have a note saying where I found this, but a quick Google search on the enable default user We'll get some more info. This absolutely works. I like it because it's very similar to how it worked in XP and only adds a couple of steps of working in the registry. Below is a note from our documentation. 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 <laughs> so he's, he's on the bandwagon with that. Um, right. It says, use a program called Enabler from a thumb drive. Enabler works well, but make sure you complete all the steps. And we have tried Enabler, Sean. You and I both looked at that. And the idea is it's it's a little uh, executable that's supposed to turn on that uh, copy to button that they turned off. It's still there in Windows 7, taunting you. Yes. But it's, but it's disabled. Um, and, and we tried Enabler and didn't have any success with it. But uh, uh, James here offers some suggestions as to how uh, we might be able to make it work better. So uh, step one. Create a user profile that you want to use as your master profile. Once all the settings are exactly the way uh, you want them, you restart the machine. We said, we've we said that too. you got to totally restart. Uh, log on as a new user with administrative rights, but not administrator. I'm adding that. Um, open the start menu. Right-click on the computer. Click properties. Uh, then advanced settings. And then settings related to log on. <laughs> if you're reading this, you know how to do this. Um, Step three, delete all users with existing profiles. If you want to use the new default profile, otherwise highlight the profile you want to copy and use enabler to run it as an administrator and press uh, on the copy to. When the box comes up, use the button, uh, the bottom of, the, excuse me, use the bottom of the box to activate it for everyone. Just type in everyone. Once that is complete uh, in the copy to location, type in wherever you want it to go. See user's default is where it usually goes. Uh, this copies the profile over the default profile uh, and uh, allow that to complete. Now, here's where I think our steps failed, Sean. We've done everything up to this point. Correct. Now, now run regedit, highlight H key users, click on file, then uh, click on load hive and migrate to user C, uh, C colon user's default and in the file blank, type ntuser.dat and press enter. In the blank box that comes up, enter the name that you'll remember. I use default underscore user, uh, but I have the kids use George or Fred or whatever. It really doesn't matter. Then go back to regedit and expand hkey users and highlight the user you just created. Go to edit, click on find, and put in the name of your original default prof profile, the user profile you're copied, and hit enter. Delete whatever comes up highlighted. Use F3 and continue the process until you delete all instances of that name. Delete the whole key. Windows will recreate it with the new username, and on some pages you'll see the name multiple times. Use Shift or Control to highlight all instances. Once you're done, re-highlight the name you used and click on File and Unload Hive. Restart the machine. Don't just log off. Log on as a new user, and they will have all the settings you created for the default user. 
So I know that's a, a lot of steps. There's like 15 steps and and I uh, a little hard to follow in audio, but I'll put those in the show notes. Uh, and there's a few extra steps there that we haven't tried. So it'll be interesting to see if you, if we get over some of those uh, niggling issues that we've had with Windows 7 profiles. Yeah, and it, you know it kind of makes sense, uh, but I only remember uh, not ever having to go into the registry. Um, although when you see that software, uh, what was it? Enabler enabler. Yes. Everything I, all the documentation I ever saw on enabler never mentioned having to go past, uh, step four or whatever it was on this. Um, and it was supposed to quote unquote, you know, just work. Um, obviously if you're having to go in and do all this registry hacking, uh, then, you know, that's a lot of extra steps. Right. Not that there's anything wrong with that. If that gets you to where you, you know where we were before i'm happy to do them so uh i'm glad that he's sharing this information um i don't know i'll have to look back at that maybe uh, next time we're copying a profile we'll run through this and maybe i can uh actually uh you know do sort of a tutorial video uh following along um, well you know when we've had issues before it's been what appeared to be random uh, uh, registry strings popping up. Like you'll right. click on my documents and it'll say uh, user Bob isn't available and you don't know who Bob is or why Bob is there. Uh, and so it, it sounds like it, it may be something like that where there's just a, a registry entry that didn't properly get completed or is still hanging out there. And so this goes through and just deletes all references to the default user and then Windows will rebuild that because it knows it has to have a default user. Yeah, it, it makes sense because uh, we were seeing that when we do it the uh, the way that enablers told us to do it. Uh, there did just seem to be all these kind of leftover remnants in the registry. You could tell that they were there, but uh, we just never took the time to really do the homework and go in and try to find all of that. And you know, even then, when you're messing around with the registry, you, you just don't seem to ever know if you really got it all. Um, so that's good stuff. I'm going to try that. Yeah, it'll be, uh, I, I think, reading over that, it wouldn't be terribly difficult to script that, uh, to write something that searches the registry and deletes entries. But then again, it's always uh, a little dangerous to automatically to in an automated fashion delete registry entries but i think it would be not terribly difficult to write a one or two click program that would do all that for you if those steps are constant yeah that's true i mean you, yeah you could uh i mean heck you could kind of make that a, a batch file right yeah the the, uh, the trick would be properly recursing through and making sure you delete everything uh, yeah. Using you know the registry uh, regedit regedit has its own delete and add commands built into it, so you could probably do that with some batch files and clever use of the regedit uh, command. So maybe somebody out there would like to make that a project and and let us know how how it turns out. Yeah, awesome, good stuff. Uh, and the next one is from TJIS. Uh, I, that's a name. That's not an acronym. It's just obviously not an English name, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. Um, but that I think that's his first name, uh, and I'm going to guess it's um, Scandinavian in origin. Uh, <laughs> he says, hi, guys. I caught up with show 10, 
I don't think he meant 10. I think he left off something. I think maybe he means 104 based on uh, what he's talking about. He says, I noticed you had an issue with printers not staying persistent when a temporary profile is loaded. So this goes hand in hand with what James was telling us. I dealt with the same issue a couple of months ago and noticed that the user profile where this issue occurs was not removed correctly from the computer. After logging in again, and Windows 7 not only checks the location on the hard drive uh, to store its files, but also checks for the user's uh, SSID in the uh, registry, uh, or uh, SID, excuse me, not SSID, that's for Wi-Fi, SID, uh, a security identifier uh, in the registry. The correct way to remove a user's profile is to go into system properties, select advanced system options, and then user profiles. When the user profile is removed from there, the registry is also cleaned. Uh, good luck and keep up with the show. Even if I'm not working in the education field, I still find your show informative. Thanks for all the work you do. So that dovetails in with what James said and that uh, uh, he says that if you delete that, the registry files will be cleaned up automatically. But James specifically says that's not enough. You got to go in and search for things in the registry. So uh, conflicting advice there. Two people saying the same thing, but in different ways, really. Yeah, I, I agree, Mark, because, uh, you know, in really, you know, the issue wasn't that, uh, you know, these user profiles were being deleted. Uh, it, I think it, it more goes back to how our default default profile was created. And therefore, there was a problem there that every user on that computer, lo- you know, logging in was inheriting. Uh, and therefore, we, we saw printers, uh, you know, disappearing. Um, it's been a little bit of an elusive problem only in that this is the first year that I haven't been the desktop engineer, quote unquote. <laughs> uh, so, uh, have, you know, have a new assistant, uh, you know, me being the new Mark, there's a new Sean. And, uh, I, I think, well, no, I know that this was really his first go around as far as, uh, you know, doing this sort of setup. And, uh, uh, I, I certainly helped him along the way. Uh, with some things, but um, I think when it came to, he's a really smart guy, but I think when it came to uh, dealing with profiles, he was kind of, you know, sort of learning on his own, finding out, uh, feeling his way along. And uh, I I think we just have some, you know, some lingering effects from that. But um, it's kind of weird too, because while we still have, and I still have not quite finished up this whole uh, Microsoft licensing issue but uh it's kind of one of those weird things because when you have both of those going on sometimes it's hard to know which you know you you've got these symptoms and w- which one is causing it you know do i have a, a profile issue that we've created or is there because obviously when your license isn't properly activated you lose some things too uh you know you your background you know goes to a black screen and things like that so um I don't know. I think we're going to get the licensing thing figured out first, then go back and look at profiles and and probably clean those up. Uh, I did want to ask you this, Mark, because I was thinking about kind of going to uh, somewhat of a a change with this is a revolving schedule of imaging. Um, And I'm kind of curious if there's anybody else out there that does this, but, you know, just sort of uh, getting on an annual cycle rather than, you know, we always did it, uh, just kind of image everything in the summer, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, inevitably, we always ended up kind of hitting crunch time uh, toward the end of summer and, and scrambling to get uh, last little bits done or whatever. So I was thinking about uh, 
spreading that out over the course of the year and just kind of, you know, maybe quarterly or whatever, having different uh, sections of the district set up uh, to set up, set up a fresh image, re-image, things like that. Uh, any thoughts on that? Not really. <laughs> I yep, know you're hoping for more than that. Well, I was hoping. I don't know. I, I figured, uh, you know, obviously you were there a long time, so uh, it's kind of hard. It, it's funny. I always find myself in that weird situation when I look at doing something differently. I'm like, well, Mark did it that way for a right. long time. And it, it, it's like, you know, you know, when your dad did something a certain way that dad did that because he obviously probably tried and failed several times and, and came, you know, arrived at this way of doing things. So I'm smart enough to know that whenever I question something and that I'm going to do it new and uh, a better way, that that's really not the case. <laughs> um, well, the reason I always did all my maintenance in the summer is uh, to give that uh, newness to the new school year. Uh, I mean, that's that's really th that, and it's that's the easiest time to do it when they when people aren't around. Uh, so you have to, if you're going to do it any other time, you've got to be careful not to impact. Uh, you know, the users as they do things. But I just think that um, there's a certain inherent expectation when you begin a new school year that things are going to be new and fresh. Uh, and so I always like to give my users that new, fresh desktop. A lot of them didn't appreciate that. They wanted to keep the same settings. You know, they they, they thought I was the, the re-image Nazi, you know. Uh, but um, – I think that there is value in in getting all the software at the same point. So if you if you're going to do it throughout the year, you're going to have browsers at different levels, and you're going to have different softwares at different levels throughout your fleet. Uh, and I, uh, which happens anyway, if you don't have uh, machines, you know, uh, controlled tightly. But I just think it's uh, beneficial to to give everybody that fresh starting point and say, this is our new baseline. And let me clean up all the problems I found. I learned about stuff uh, last year, and I'm going to uh, incorporate all those bug fixes in one little service pack, if you want to call it that. And so that's right. why I always did everything in the summer. It just seemed the, the most logical way to do it. Is it the only way to do it? Of course not. But that's the, that just seemed to me to be the best time to do such an, uh, a major task. Right, right. Yeah, um, and I certainly see value there. Um, I think what I may try to do is just cut it down a little bit, cut it down to like core, core areas. You know, you always have those one-off areas uh, uh, for us, like the what we call the field house out where the coaches, right. uh, the football coaches' uh, offices are, and things like that. And you've got a handful of machines out there. And um, uh, I know we worked diligently and tried to hit every single computer in the district, and uh, uh, that was very often a stretch for us. So. Uh, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out a way to manage that process to where it's not so, um, I don't know, just not, not such a big sandwich to take a bite of. <laughs> uh, but you know, admittedly, I think some of that falls back on us. Like, right. The school year ends and what do you want to do? The first two or three weeks, it's just like, you know, let's, you know, not that we weren't working, but you know, let's take a breather. Right. So, yeah, the lunch breaks got a little longer and the days got a little shorter for a while there. Yeah. Right, right. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know. We'll see. I, I look forward. To, I know it's early already to be saying this, but I look forward to next summer being my first full summer uh, where it's mine, so to speak. And right. uh, uh, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. 
we also have, we also have a comment uh, uh, on this. You know, while we're on the topic of my way is not necessarily the best way, uh, Mike uh, writes in our forums in reference to our last episode, the uh, episode one hundred eight. Are you the keymaster? Uh, and he says, Mark, you ask for it. <laughs> so here's my take on what you said, and I did. I said, if you thought I'm wrong, let me know. Uh, he said, I feel that there was some good information to be had, but a lot of the missing pieces, uh, a lot of missing pieces, and some misinformation. Uh, maybe if you had waited until after Sean had finished setting up the KMS, things could have been made clearer. In my opinion, continuing with the Mac activations is completely unnecessary for Sean. I do understand there's a fair amount of work involved in setting up the KMS server and reconfiguring your host, but I feel that the benefit moving forward is going to easily pay off. Uh, as simple as sending an email a week seems to you, Mark, it's just one more thing that we wouldn't need any attention at all going with KMS. Just because it's the way you did it doesn't mean it's the best way for someone else. Your comment about VAMT 2.0 being a tool for stats geeks is totally inaccurate. While it does have many capabilities to grab stats on current license statuses, there's a lot more there than just that. The true power lies in its ability to change hosts from one method to another, Mac or KMS, or vice versa, and tell them to activate en masse. Uh, this is immensely beneficial uh, when setting up your server initially to get the activation count high enough that they do activate, but also be also prove useful to migrate the existing Mac licenses to Sean's environment to KMS. I appreciate all the hard work you two put into the show and hope you continue to provide us with quality content. So Mike disagrees with my assessment, and I'm totally fine with that. Well, and um, I mean, that makes me feel good because I was kind of leaning that way anyway. Um, and, you know, I, I certainly have no shortage of things on my plate. So uh, when it came to thinking about how I was going to manage this licensing, uh, the KMS way seemed to make sense to me. Um, but I, I still have to say, I think a blended approach, at least in my environment, is going to be the way to go. Uh, we have a decent amount of employee-held laptops that leaves the network for a decent amount of time. Um, and uh, so I think, you know, KMS on those devices is not a bad thing. Uh, it's also such a small number that if I clear out all of my KMS licenses and, and basically make them available, I get, or I'm sorry, Mac, Mac. Uh, licenses, you know, reclaim those licenses simultaneously get a KMS server up, then um, I'm going to have enough Mac uh, licenses uh, relative to how many of these laptop uh, employee-held laptops and, and devices uh, that I'm, I'm not going to really have to deal with reclaiming licenses for uh, probably several years. Um, and when I do, if I use VAMT, I will be able to monitor that situation now and I can see it coming. And, uh, you know, so I'm not going to have to deal with people saying uh, they're getting activation errors and things like that. I can see it coming, see when I get within 50 and uh, fire off a couple emails, reclaim those, and I'm good for another few years. Um, and then, yeah, have the rest of my internal fleet on KMS and uh, never have to worry about that either. You know, and I certainly don't know what your situation is like there, what you're dealing with, but, uh, in the in the past couple of years when I did it, it really was a non-issue. It was uh, very rare uh, that anybody uh, ran into an error like that. Uh, by very rare, I mean it happened four or five times throughout the whole year. Uh, and when those things occurred, I, I simply bumped up our number of, of uh, Mac licenses. Because you don't have to do anything on the machine itself. You just have to tell somebody at Microsoft has to, to 
add more activations to those existing licenses. So it's not like you have to re-image it or anything. It's it's all on their end. Uh, so, right. but maybe you know, maybe I squandered my youth, and you're paying the price for it because now you've got all those MAC addresses that are dead. I don't I don't know what the, your situation is, but in my situation, uh, when I was doing it, uh, it was not only simple but trivial to a couple of times a year have them bump up our numbers of license right. activations for those existing Mac licenses. Well, and we are, I mean, you know, again, this gets back to the environment, but we are talking about a, a small, uh, relatively small network. I mean, uh, you know, somewhere in the vicinity of 900 to a thousand computers. Um, so yeah, you can see where the situation depending on how heavily you're re-imaging, uh, it was only going to happen a couple of times a year. But uh, yeah, I do, again, thinking of KMS, I do like the idea of set it and forget it, so to speak. Uh, so there's a little bit more legwork up front, but once we get it up and running, um, I shouldn't really have to worry about it anymore. And, you know, maybe even then KMS is the way to go. But uh, my understanding of KMS is that I think it's 90 days um, that uh, a machine has to check back in with the KMS server. If it doesn't check back in with KMS server in that 90 days, then you end up having the, the errors again. Um, you know, how much of a headache that is, I don't know. Based off the timing, generally even a teacher that goes home for the summer is not going to be gone a total of actual 90 days. So, um, you know, maybe KMS is the route to go all the way across the board, and I, I may play around with that. Um, Mark, that did bring up, though, a question I've been meaning to ask you, and I don't know. Listen to the question first because maybe you cannot answer it on air uh, just based off of uh, the information I'm asking for. But listen to it and see if, if you can because, uh, you know, uh, maybe somebody else out there is having the same problem. So uh, setting up this KMS server, you basically – it it has to um, – much in the way that fog does, right? It has to, uh, I don't know, is it uh, the DHCP requests that have to pass through? Is that right? Uh, I honestly don't know. Well, you know, basically, uh, and I guess like when a computer boots up and it, it, it makes that sort of checks in with DHCP and then isn't there a fog pass through? Oh, for for fog, yeah. Uh, I I thought you were talking about for KMS. Yeah, for fog, there's a uh, a next server tag that that says uh, uh, now that I've got an IP address, is there are there any other instructions I should follow? And that's where the PXE boot kicks in. Right. Well, essentially, you have to accomplish the same thing with KMS because as these computers boot up, they have to check in with the KMS server in that Pixie boot process. So what I'm having a hard time figuring out is uh, how that's working on our network. Uh, you know, I know that uh, typically like with a Windows server, you there's a field where you put in that pass-through and you give the uh, the fog server address. So basically the Windows side handles that request first and then passes it off to fog. But uh, we are, we're running... Um, we're running a different environment there, so I wasn't sure how you had that passing through. And you know, so basically, we have the KMS server up and ready to go, but I can't get any of my computers to boot up and for that request to pass through. It, it, it hits fog, and then um, we're not ever getting to the KMS server. Now, I don't. I, I'm I'm reaching on this because I, I don't remember. It's been a long time since I did it. 
but there is a way to chain multiple PXE servers in a boot sequence. What I don't remember is if that's at the DHCP, where you simply add another entry below the initial one that in this case is handing it off to Fog, or if it's something in Fog that says, um, when I'm done here, go check there. I, I, I don't remember it happened if, if it happens at the, at the DHCP level or at the PXE level. But I think, and I'm sure Mike and others like him will jump on me if I'm wrong on this, I think that it happens uh, at the DHCP level. So uh, in, the, in, our, in your case there, you're using a Linux uh, DHCP uh, host, and right. and there's a there's a, a line there. It's the the next server command. I think you simply drop down um, and add another line with a higher uh, priority number or a lower a higher number, which is a lower priority uh, in the chain, so that when it checks in with Fog, the first thing it'll do is say, "Do I have a task for you? If no, check back with this other server now instead of going straight to boot, uh, and then." the the new pixie chain will do its thing and the last thing it will say is is there are there any other things if not boot i i think that's how it works and certainly since imaging would precede license verification we'd want fog uh getting the request first right absolutely you want it to be your first your first thing Uh, okay and if you just if you just do a, a google search for pxe chaining or chain loading you'll find uh, lots of instructions on how to do it. Uh, and then I'm sure you can even find a step-by-step for the exact version of the, the Linux-based DHCP server you've got there. So it's, uh, it's, not, uh, it's not black magic. It's just not something I remember off the top of my head. Well, you may uh, be looking forward to hearing more about that. I think that'll be a follow-up and not really a follow-up show. I mean, it it might be a good 15, 20-minute conversation. But when I finally have that completely functional, because the KMS server, I mean, literally takes like uh, somewhere between three to five minutes to get going. I mean, it was a piece of cake. But uh, that last little bit was the last hurdle that we had to get over and... um, and I wasn't really sure. I try. I tried to do some poking around and and sort of reverse engineer it and find out you know which way that was occurring, um, but I, I just wasn't able to find it. So uh, once I get all that going, we may have a follow up to uh, both the Windows uh, licensing and also um, you know that last little step because, like you said, it's unique to your environment. So uh, you know using fog throwing fog into that mix is going to be something that uh, i think a lot of our listeners will be using and maybe somebody out there if you're listening to this uh maybe you've already done it um uh, and uh you know you know somewhat the exact process i know it's going to be different with different servers but uh, yeah feel free shoot me off an email i'd be glad to hear it okay um and the last tip that are um comment that we have is from uh, our friend monkey martin who was one of our first uh, listener spotlights by the way we'd like to do another listener spotlight so if you're a listener out there and you want to be on the show it's been a while since we did an interview we're uh yep. we're a little dry in the interview department we'd like to do another one so let us know but uh, uh in essence monkey martin says he wants us to do a show on windows 8 and let us know what we think about it uh let let everybody know what we think about it so um, what I have to say about Windows 8 is I haven't seen it yet, and I literally only know what you could read 
on any blog, the same blogs I read about it. So I'm sure at some point we will we will cover that, but uh, I don't know have any idea when that'll be. Yeah, I've been kicking around this idea. You know, uh, Mark, you'll remember, you'll, re- you'll recall, uh, I was very early in on Windows 7, uh, an early beta tester, and uh, I really jumped off the cliff when I did that. I just took my work machine and I uh, I loaded it up and, you know, let's see what happens. And I was very fortunate in that, for the most part, it just worked. Uh, so that was great. Uh, but now I'm sort of in a different seat because I've been kicking around the idea of wanting to throw Windows 8 on my computer, but uh, just functionally, I, I can't take that risk right now. Right. Uh, I've thought about maybe kind of strongly urging my assistant to do it. Uh, but even then, I don't know that I would have a whole lot to report back other than, well, he says it's, you know, this or or that. But um, I I agree with Monkey Martin. I'd love for us to be able to do a Windows 8 show, but uh, we're not going to do it until we really feel good about it. But Martin, brother, if you are, are if you're already on a Windows 8 box, um, uh, we'd love to have you on the show and talk about it because I'd love to pick your brain and, you know, I'd like to see, uh, what type of environment you're running it in and, you know, are you using it at work? Are you using it on a personal uh, machine? Um, you know, are you tying it into an, an active directory environment and, uh, joining it to a domain? I mean, is it, uh, uh windows eight? I don't know. What are they, are they calling it enterprise? You know, <laughs> So many questions to be answered. Yeah. So if you've been on one for a little while, uh, shoot me an email, Sean, S-H-A-W-N, at elementopi.com, and uh, I'll be glad to get you lined up for a show, and we'll get on and talk about it. I think uh, my understanding from from the, the press that I have read and the podcast to which I have listened uh, is that Windows 8 on a computer – on on the the same hardware that you already have is just Windows Seven only you've got to close out of that annoying thing to get to the desktop that you don't really see the benefit of Windows Eight until you have something that can run the the RT environment uh, you know something with a touch screen uh, uh, a more tabletish uh, interface but uh, all all the the press that I've read and all of the things that I understand is that. In terms of the business or even scholastic environment, uh, it's just going to be Windows 7 with that an extra splash screen at the front. Um, and I, I, But binaries, uh, anything you've got on Windows 7 will run on it, and it hooks up to AD the same way, and it has the same group policies, uh, they, of course, with additions too. But uh, as I understand, they didn't take anything away. But again, that's all hearsay and just reading the same stuff you could read anywhere else. I don't have any more information. I literally have not even seen it you know, anywhere. Yeah, it's funny, Mark, because you know conceptually, when I think about it, I think it's it's an interesting way that they're going. But you know, on the desktop, it sounds like an interface that is made for tablets and phones, and that they're they're basically trying to have somewhat of a unified experience across all of those platforms um and it's an interesting concept because uh i know you've seen them mark and you're gonna laugh because i have i have not dared tell you this yet but (laughs) 
on my iPad, I have one of those. Uh, it's made by a company called Zag, but it's a it's a iPad case that has the the Bluetooth keyboard. Oh, so you you bought a la- a tablet so you could turn it into a laptop. Yeah, right, right. Which I have to say, it's uh, it's a great little device for sort of uh, what it is. It's not. It's not fully functional like a laptop, but there's an amazing amount of things that I can do with it. So on the go, it's a great work device, but um, it's interesting because you, as you use something like that, you get used to typing and then reaching up and touching the screen to hit a submit button or whatever, right? Or to use your mouse. So if I'm using log me in to access my work computer through it, uh, I'm reaching up to touch the screen to have my interactivity. So that all sort of conceptually makes sense to me, but we don't have computers that we interact with like that. Right. So put that interface on a desktop computer, what do you think people are going to do? You know, especially you give them the option to get rid of it. That's exactly what they're going to do on day one, get rid of that. So I'm missing the point in even having it. Well, initially it was said that there would be uh, a trigger that a group policy thing that enterprises could do to turn that off so that you go straight to the desktop. But when it came out and it was actually uh, in some of the pre-release versions, but when the, when the preview release came out, the, the, the uh, release to manufacturing version came out that had been turned off. So, so now there is no way to not see that windows eight startup screen. Uh, now you can, click the desktop from there and then go to your desktop, but they're going to force you to do that step every time. They really want you to use that Windows 8 startup screen, and if you don't, it's up to you to manually go in every time you log in and make that go away. So it, they're really betting the farm on on the touch interface. And, you know, I could maybe 20 years from now, people won't have carpal tunnel from typing anymore. They'll have torn rot- rotator cuffs from reaching out to their 24-inch monitors uh, and, and gesticulating all over the place. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that that's the problem is the, the touch screens aren't there. You know, if I, if I put that on my work computer, I, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I mean, I'm going to have to turn it off, and if it, if I have to turn it off every time I boot up the computer, then I'm just going to be pissed. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I don't know any other way to put it. And certainly, you know, in, in a school environment, and I'm sure in an office environment, it's the same way where you got people constantly booting up and logging on. Uh, people are going to hate you, the network admin, pretty quickly. Yeah. Microsoft, irritating customers since 1978. Right. <laughs> but Martin, if you would like to, please contact me. I'd love to uh, to do a show on that. But uh, we're gonna ha- before we do a show, we're going to have to have somebody on that can uh, speak knowledgeably about it. And right now, there aren't a lot of people that can do that because it's not out yet. Right. That's it. I'm done. That's all the listener feedback I have. So, uh, Sean, are there any other... Uh, words of wisdom that you'd like to drop on our audience? No, no, I think that's it. Um, like I said, look forward to. I, I really am hoping that uh, in the next uh, week or so. Uh, you know what? Actually, Mark, I do have one thing I want to throw out there. It just came across my desk today, but I was. I am. This is probably another five or ten minutes, and here we are now looking at. Uh, well, I guess we'll be right on time, or maybe just a little bit long. Um, 
got some new information today about uh, you know E rate, right? I guess it's like right. government money you can get for uh, certain services. Yeah, it's uh, for those of you who are not in the education environment, you may not or libraries, you may not know what that is. It's the School Library Commission uh, took uh, a chunk of your taxes. It's on your phone bill. You're all paying it if you live in the United States. Uh, and they set up two and a quarter billion dollars uh, to be used uh, to give discounts on communication services to schools and public libraries. So, for example, you can get uh, uh, internet access at a rate of maybe only 20% of the of the regular cost, and the government pays the other 80% out of that tax fund. So there's a quick intro as to what E-rate is. Right, and uh, I guess it's to further describe the process, and I'm probably not going to do nearly uh, as good a job as Mark could because Mark's been dealing with this stuff for a long time, but um, there's basically different, and Mark, correct me if I'm wrong as I go along here, but there's different levels of that, right? So certain services uh, are, are rated at a higher priority, so uh, you've got this pool of money to draw from, and uh, certain things are going to qualify first before other lower level items. Is that right? Is right. That- there are three tiers, tier one, tier two, and tier three. And they fund tier one first. Then if there's any mon- money left over, they fund tier two. And if there's money- any money left over, they fund tier three. I don't think they're ever in the, the, the history of the program have ever reached tier three. Right. Well, uh, I got something uh, that basically is a tier one, and it, the way it was presented to me, this is a new, newly included tier one service. But what they are doing is they are enabling districts to partner with a communication company that has dark fiber in your area and pay to have that dark fiber lit. And one in my area i don't i don't know i mean I, I i had the superintendent ask me you know will will this impact us and i'm like you know that's the problem with dark fiber is a lot of times you don't know if it's there you know right. different companies have different dark fiber all over the place and so you don't know if you have any near you and um so it seemed like a pretty complicated question to answer um, so, I mean, I'm trying to check, I'm checking with companies in our area to just, you know, see, uh, kind of run that idea by them, you know, is there dark fiber in our area? Do you know, um, if so, is it something that we're going to be able to get access to through this, through this program? Um, and then even if that's the case, is it going to make financial sense for us to do so? Um, and that's in- an interesting reversal because up until this point, that was specifically forbidden. That you could not, you had to buy a service. So you couldn't pay somebody to uh, uh, provide you bandwidth over an existing fiber connection. You had to pay them to run a new fiber connection. Um, and it, it, it only, it didn't cover uh, properties, only services. So uh, dark fiber was, I mean, it was in the list of things that you could not do. Uh, yep. So that's interesting that they've, uh, they've reversed that, but. You know, I don't know how many people it's going to help. Yeah, and uh, you know, and, and that's where I'm in that boat because uh, you know I'm out in a rural area. There may very well be dark fiber that somebody laid, thinking that you know growth over time, whatever. Maybe someday they'll light that fiber up. Um, but I, I thought it was interesting because it it seems to me to be maybe a push by the government to expand existing networks, or maybe just they were running out of ways to justify spending that money. 
and had to come up with something else because you know a government tax program never goes away so <laughs> you, you just find new ways to spend the same money <laughs> i'd like our own cia secret agent <laughs> okay <laughs> i don't know where that came from I don't know. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I just thought I'd throw it in there because it was very interesting. It came out of nowhere, and uh, all of a sudden, the superintendent's putting this uh, proposal on my desk and asking me what I think. And I was like, uh, <laughs> I was like, I really don't know. Let me check in that and uh, get back to you. So, well, Sean, specifically, the only dark fiber I know of where you are is fiber I paid to lay, and it is now no longer in use. So uh, I'm not saying there isn't anything else, but I'm saying that's all I know about out there. I I think I know what you're talking about. I think that's a very short run too, isn't it? Uh, Well, it's a couple of miles. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, I'm I'm in touch with some providers in our area, and I figure um, if I put this in front of their faces and they see a way where they can make a buck, then um, I'm sure they'll be more than happy to explain it all to me. So, Sean, if somebody was just walking down the road uh, and found this podcast laying in the street, orphaned and forlorn, and picked it up and didn't know from whence it came and just said, oh, poor lonely podcast, uh, where could they go to find out more information about this show and its hosts? Well, first off, they'd have to dodge the big bad wolf (laughs) (laughs) and head on over to elementopi.com. Was that good enough, Mark? That'll work. (laughs) Okay. Uh, yeah, go check out the website. There you can find the forums. And, uh, of course, you can join in on the uh, – well, the chat room's going 24-7. If you don't know, I, there's not uh, always as many people in it. But uh, certainly you can join the chat room anytime, but uh, uh, even more so during the recording of one of our many shows uh, and interact with other listeners and show hosts. Uh, also, check us out through the various social networks at Element OP. Element OP. I'm, I'm practicing, Mark. I really am. Uh, you know, check us out there on Twitter. Uh, you can find us at our uh, Facebook page by the same name, Element Opie. Um, or a phone call would be so awesome because we love hearing your voice. Uh, dial up 559-I-M-O-P-O-P-I-E. Um, I mean, literally, you just you call that number, you leave a message, we get it. It's that simple. So uh, in many ways, I think that's the easiest way to contact us because, you know, opening up a browser, logging into email, you know, maybe you're already in email, but you got to hit, you know, compose, uh, type something out uh, and, and, and send it off. Uh, I think a voicemail is much And if you're pro- trying to do that from an iPad, it's a ridiculously complicated procedure. Unless you have a Bluetooth keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that was one of the main reasons, I mean, uh, honestly, that I got it. Uh, it was uh, typing up and responding to emails because pretty much it's – a tablet to me is still useless for that unless you have a keyboard. Right. Um, so anyway, yeah, that's the many ways you can get a hold of us. You can email us, sean at elementop.com or mark at elementop.com. So if you want to talk bad about Mark behind his back, you can fire me off an email or vice versa. Uh, <laughs> we enjoy those too. Yes. Uh, and I also, I, I thought it was awesome that we got, uh, you know, we got some things that were critical of us this week, which I love. All right. Did, you like yeah. it when they insult me. I, I've noticed that. I don't know. Did they <laughs> I didn't think they insulted me? No, it's fine. Um, no, just I, to 
Because- uh, uh, the uh, the phone number five five nine I am Opie. Um, it's not a it's not in my hand yet, but it has officially been designated to me. When it arrives, my Georgia state license plate will be I am Opie. No, really? Yeah. Oh, that is great. I wonder if I can get that in Texas. So yeah, I'll be driving around uh, with Georgia state license plates that read I am Opie in the, in about a week or two. <laughs> Uh, that is great oh you got to take a picture and throw it up there on the forum i will i'll post it out there maybe on twitter and facebook and stuff but uh i'm all in folks i'm all in for element op i'm branding it everywhere i go oh that'd be great hey if you're out there anywhere else and you manage to lock that one up in your state take a picture and send it to us that'd be, <laughs> that'd be cool that'd be a neat forum thread actually yeah. i i a year ago i haven't done anything with it yet but a year ago i registered i am op.com that would uh-huh. be cool to set something up there where where people could could like brand themselves, take pictures of themselves with like T-shirts that say "I am Opie" or whatever, and and you know let us know where all the Opies are in the world. <laughs> right, right. I love it. I love it. Great idea. Well, I look forward to seeing that uh, that license plate. You'll be the first. Yeah. If uh, I, and if I could afford it, or if I weren't such a tightwad, I would wrap my truck with like the Opie logo painted black with, with the blue logo on the front. And that'd look really cool. Uh, but that's also really expensive. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you could, uh, you could start writing off a whole bunch of stuff. then. <laughs> I'd be driving a billboard to work every day. Right. Uh, all right, Mark. Well, now comes the time that I just have to say, uh, this was another great show. Well, your modesty precedes you and I'm glad you approve and having, received the stamp of approval there's nothing more to say but that ends wait how do i end this show what is my sign oh yeah that's right this is mark signing off and sean signing off <laughs>